people of God in Christ, this, uh, there is a line from William Shakespeare that I imagine you have heard. It, it goes like this. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. The interesting thing is that all three sources of greatness are true of the Apostle Paul. First, he was born into greatness. In Philippians 3, Paul even claims his greatness into which he was born. He writes, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And I think we could paraphrase to hear Paul saying, If anyone else thinks he is great, I am greater. And here is the greatness he is referring to, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Clearly, Paul is referring to the greatness into which he was born. Second, Paul achieved greatness, and he speaks of this greatness in the same passage in Philippians 3. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, but even more, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Clearly, Paul is referring here to the greatness that, having been born into greatness, he then achieved by way of his hard work his studies in the law of God, and his status within the party of the Pharisees. In another place, in Galatians 1.14, Paul even writes, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But in the end, Paul had greatness thrust upon him. In fact, so great was the greatness thrust upon him that that it brought him to count all his former greatness as nothing more than dung, as manure, to use two of the more acceptable words for what Paul was talking about. He goes on to write in Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, and and again, we can paraphrase to hear him say, whatever greatness I had, even by my birth and achievement combined, that greatness I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And remember how Paul came to know Christ, how it was indeed thrust upon him. It wasn't by his heritage, and it certainly wasn't by his own achievement that Paul came to know Christ. Instead, the knowledge of Christ was thrust upon him one day as he was traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus when Christ appeared to him, blinded him, and then opened both his physical, and spiritual eyes to find his true greatness in knowing Christ, even the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. This morning we began a series of sermons on the book of Romans, and it might seem strange to use a a passage from Philippians 
to introduce the book of Romans. But the first word of Romans is the word Paul, the name Paul as the writer of this book. We might make the distinction. He's not the author of the book, the author being the Holy Spirit. So maybe we should call him the writer of the book under the inspiration of its author, the Holy Spirit. Uh, There are times when knowing something about the writer of a book can be unhelpful. Maybe you've had the experience of of liking the books of a a certain writer, and uh, and then you learn more about the writer. Uh, You meet him or her, or you see an interview, or you read a biography about your favorite writer, and you are disappointed. Maybe it doesn't ruin your affection for the writer's work, but it takes something away from your appreciation to know the writer. But that's not the case here with Paul as the writer of Romans. It can only help us, I think, to know who Paul was before, or both before and after his conversion. And if Paul were here today, I think he would be pleased for us to to know that his greatness and the greatness of the book of Romans were indeed thrust upon him by Christ himself. As we start in on the book of Romans, uh, looking at the first seven verses of the first chapter, the first point is the Apostle Paul. Verse 1 reads, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The letter-writing structure used by Paul and and the other apostles brought about the writer to identify himself as the writer from the start. Uh, The closest thing to this in our own day is using the memo format for for a written letter. You begin with a a from line and, and a to line so that readers know right away who is writing to them which seems strange because a memo is usually short uh, with the signature appearing at the bottom of the first and only page. Other letters are longer and and you might have to jump to the last page just to figure out who in the world is writing to you. But with Paul, it's clear. He, He identifies himself as Paul. And while we learn much about him in the book of Acts and by other letters that he wrote, Yet Paul does identify himself further here in Romans in several ways. First, he is Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This by itself takes us back to Philippians 3. Uh, Under his former greatness, that greatness that he came to count as dung, uh, Paul would never have seen himself as anyone's servant. Uh, He was the big shot. He, uh, He was the man in charge. Uh, But now it's the very first way, that's significant, the very first way that he identifies himself as as a servant of Christ Jesus. And I wonder if we are willing to do the same thing, to identify as a servant of Christ. I'm sure you can hear that, that that's the language of our culture these days. Everyone is identifying as, as this or identifying as that. And, and it usually gets put as self-identifying, um, which if you think about it, is, 
is rather redundant. Uh, if, if you're identifying, which is to say figuring out and deciding who you are, then of course you are self-identifying. But the fact that it gets put that way shows the extreme of it. It's over the top in our culture. It, it emphasizes the idea that everyone gets to decide for themselves who they are. And granted, on one hand, that, that's the way it should be. A person certainly has the autonomy to decide who they are, uh, or at least who they want to be, a, a, a world traveler or a, or a stay-at-home person, um, a, a plumber or a professor, uh, a Democrat or a Republican. But on the other hand, the, the extreme of self-identification comes with a denial of reality. And of course, everyone wants to be something more in their identity. There, there, is an, there is an unhappiness within people, a marked discontent in who they are, and, and, and that by way of their family identity or, or their financial status or even their gender Happiness will surely be found, it is thought, if I self-identify as something else than I am. But what we can learn from the Apostle Paul is this, that the way up is really by going down. People want to be served. At least they want only to serve themselves, and they think that that's what will make them happy when, when a greater happiness will, will be found as, as we give up being overly interested in ourselves and start serving, start learning at least to serve others. Second, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Paul, a servant of Christ, uh, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Here we can see that even as a servant of Christ, yet Paul was serving Christ in a position of authority. In fact, God's word goes so far as to say of the church that it is founded on the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says, You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets. So it's no small thing. Let us, let us hear it. It is no small thing for Paul to identify himself as an apostle and to claim apostleship as he was writing to the church in Rome. Therefore, the, the order is important. Uh, that first Paul identifies himself as a servant then as an apostle, Paul's, Paul's humility as a servant helps the reader and the listener to listen to him as an apostle. Yes, Paul had authority, and he was not afraid to claim his position and his authority, and he would certainly have the church listen to him and, and heed his instruction, as we say. So Paul would have them know that he was not swooping in on them to boss them, to assert his power and control them. No, he is a servant of Christ, even a messenger sent by Christ. Yes, to instruct them with authority, which is what 
they would expect, would they not? Is it not what we expect from Christ as our Lord? But also, you see, to bless them and to be Christ's own blessing to them. And we see this further as Paul refers to his calling. Uh, He does not say directly at that point who called him, just that he was called to be an apostle, But that exact point is made as he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, so that it's clearly Christ who called him. A servant always receives his calling from his master. And here we see again that that greatness was thrust upon Paul. The the word call in Scripture can mean the same as our general word, uh, uh, call. Uh, you, you uh, You can call someone up on the phone. Uh, You can call to your neighbor over the back fence to say hello. Um, uh, uh, And in Scripture, prayer is defined as calling upon the Lord in, in the sense of crying out to God. But we also hear in Scripture that the call of God is the same as His command. In this sense, God called the world into being as He commanded Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let there be dry land, and and so on. So whenever we see the word call in Scripture, we we need to decide, uh, is this just a a general calling, uh, like an invitation to come to dinner? Or, Or is it a command that even carries and delivers the power for it to happen? For example, when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, that emphasis is clearly made uh, as the gospel writers record, Jesus calling his disciples, but was he inviting them to follow him, hoping that they would say yes and, and follow him? Or was he calling them in the same way that God called the world into being? Was Jesus calling his disciples in the same way that he called the dead man, Lazarus, to come forth from his tomb? The point seems clearly made that that the call of Christ to his disciples to follow him, to be his disciples, was was what what we call an effectual calling. The gospel writers make it clear by, by recording that immediately they followed him. In an instant, they left behind their fishing boats. Just as God said, let there be light, and it was so. Same thing is told of Matthew, the tax collector, that when Jesus called him, all it says is that he arose and followed him. But that's all it needs to say, to make it clear that the call of Christ displays the power of Christ to bring about what he is commanding. So bring all this back now to Romans 1. Is is Paul saying that he was invited by Jesus to be an apostle? Is he saying that Jesus offered him the position of apostle and, and, and he took it? No, Christ called him. And we get to see how it happened in Acts chapter 9. And this will help us listen to Paul's instruction in his letter to the Romans. He's called by Christ to teach us this because he has some hard things to teach us. 
things that we maybe wouldn't want to hear. Starting with what he teaches about the depth and the severity of our sin. But also in what he teaches about salvation, how, how God is indeed sovereign in saving us, so that even as salvation came by the humiliation of Christ on the cross, so salvation comes by the humiliation of the believer. So we could say, ah, that's just Paul. But it's not just Paul. If Paul was a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle of Christ, to deliver the very message of Christ to those who call him Lord. And what is that message? Paul calls it the gospel of God, which is the second point, the gospel of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This will be the message of the apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Because from the beginning, this is what Paul makes clear. The gospel is what Paul is all about. The gospel is the message for which Paul has been set apart and sent to preach. We didn't didn't deal with that. The word apostle uh, means one who is sent. So Paul is serving Christ because he has been called by Christ. And his calling is to be an apostle, which means to be one who is sent. And the message that he has been given to go and deliver is the gospel. Again, Paul will be delivering the message of the gospel in the book of Romans. But there is a sense in which he summarizes the gospel in these opening verses. He writes, The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That's all kind of a summary of the gospel of God. First, under the second point, Paul's message is the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, so this makes the book of Romans really a good next book to follow uh, after our time in Genesis. What did we see in Genesis? But, but that it is all about Christ, which means that Genesis is even all about the gospel, since Christ is promised and, and prefigured and prophesied in the book of Genesis. So now we are on the other side in history of the coming of Christ. And the gospel, the good news, is that Christ has come in fulfillment of the promises of the Hebrew Scriptures. Next, the gospel is the good news of God summarized here as concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh uh, and declared to be the Son of God. When we hear that the gospel is the good news about Christ, we, we might remember that, that announcement given by the angel to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. The angel said, Behold, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel. The good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Long before Paul was sent forth with the gospel, the gospel was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament. 
And prior to Paul bringing the message of the gospel, an angel announced it uh, to shepherds outside Bethlehem. So that what Paul is, is further summarizing for us is, is the very identity of Jesus the Savior. There is a sense in which Jesus is the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of David in the flesh. He is the Son of God as declared by His resurrection. In other words, Paul would make it clear from the beginning the two natures of Christ, as we say, that He is fully man and that He is fully God. And Paul's summary summary of the gospel here also makes clear that there is no gospel, at least no true gospel, without the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is is really itself a kind of summary of the, of the full ministry of Jesus. If we think about it, why doesn't Paul mention here the miracles of Jesus? Why doesn't he mention the suffering of Jesus and the, and the cross of Jesus where he died? But in a sense, Paul is including everything in between by speaking of the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. The good news to be told, begins with the birth of Jesus. He was born of David. He was the son of David. And it reaches its, its completion, we might say, in the resurrection of Jesus. But it includes everything in between as well. So let it also be clear what Paul is teaching about the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ was the completion of his ministry, and, and by his resurrection, Jesus was vindicated Don't you long for vindication as a Christian in your life? Well, Christ was vindicated in all his claims about himself. Throughout his ministry, our our Lord's preferred way to speak of himself was as the Son of Man. That was his humility. But he also made clear by his clear claims that he is the Son of God, thus claiming to be God Well, anyone can say that, right? Anyone can say that they are God. Different persons have done it throughout history, from Caesar to Hitler to Shirley MacLaine. But there is only one person who was vindicated in the claim to be God, Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Finally then, this last point, the the church of Christ's calling. These seven verses that begin the book of Romans begin with the call of Christ, and it ends with the call of Christ, making the call of Christ perhaps even the central theme of this passage. In verse 1, Paul speaks of his calling by Christ, to be an apostle. And in verse 5, as Paul is now carrying out his, his office, he speaks of his ministry as an apostle to call others to Christ. In verses uh, 5 and 6, Paul writes, Through whom, that is through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among Uh, for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
Here's an early hint of what Paul will say later in this very chapter, in this first chapter, that that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Yes, it can be said that the gospel is the good news about the power of God. But as Paul comes to the Romans with the gospel, he would have them know that the gospel comes with the powerful call of Christ. No less powerful than his creative call to bring all things into into being in the beginning. No less powerful than his call to bring Lazarus out of the grave during his ministry. And so in verse 7, Paul writes again to those, to all those in Rome who are called by God and called to be saints. Was Paul referring to how they had been invited to be saints and they graciously accepted? Yeah, I'll, I'll take sainthood. Was it that the offer of sainthood was made and, and they took it? No, Paul knew the depth of man's sin. And Paul knew the power of Christ to bring sinners alive and to change their hearts and their lives forever even unto all eternity. Paul knew it by his own personal experience. And so by way of his calling, Paul was made to be just the right man to sound forth the powerful call of Christ to others. By his personal experience and conversion, he was, as he said, In verse 1, he was set apart for the gospel of God. The book of Romans is all about the gospel. And the gospel comes yet today as the call, the powerful call of Christ to believe. May Christ grant his power in our day, in our hearts and lives. As we hear the gospel, may we be changed we have not yet been may we be converted may we be sainted and may we be encouraged in the faith that we've been given amen let's close in prayer as we begin this new study and proclamation O god we ask your blessing upon the uh, weeks that lie ahead in which we would uh Hear your word from the book of Romans. Grant us your spirit to hear the gospel, to hear how good the good news is, to see how beautiful Christ is as our Savior. And indeed, may each of us either come to faith, if we have not yet, may we be brought to faith, if we have not yet, but may may we also grow in our faith so that we will have a, a deeper assurance that we are saved because you have done it. And may we have a, a greater joy and a, and a deeper hope that Christ is ours and that we are his. In his name we pray. 
Amen.